everyone. Mary Harris here. We're going to do something a little different today. Producer Mary Wilson is taking the reins of the show. It's our last in a series on Florida's shifting education policy. She's going to take it from here. This show has spent the past two days taking a look at what it's been like to go back to school this year in Florida. We've heard from a former teacher and an education reporter. Yesterday, we brought you an interview with a gay student who led a protest of Florida's plan to limit instruction around gay and gender-related themes. Today, we are going to hear from someone who supports the raft of new education policy in Florida. The parental notification requirements, the curriculum standards, book approvals, new guardrails on classroom instruction. There are many new rules, all handed down by the state. School boards and administrators are still figuring out how to follow them. So Madeline Ducharme, who has produced this series, connected us with Bridget Ziegler, an elected official who's at the center of this movement to have the state play a bigger role in local school policy. Florida's red wave crashing down on woke education. Yesterday, Florida flipped multiple major school boards from liberal to conservative. Bridget Ziegler, Robin Marinelli, and Timothy Enos, all newly elected Sarasota school board members that were endorsed by <laughs> Governor Ron DeSantis, join me now. Bridget Ziegler has had a busy August. She won her re-election to the local school board in Sarasota County. She also helped swing the ideological balance of the newly elected board in a proudly conservative direction. I look at it as limited government principles, where as a public school education institution, which is a government body, that we need to understand where our lines are. When we spoke to Bridget Ziegler, she told us that in her past eight years sitting on her local school board, she's seen an uptick in parents who want more from their school administrators and are frustrated by their inability to get it. Certainly as a result of COVID, there has been much more interest and focus on school board policy decisions. What I'd seen even prior to what I call the great parent awakening was a lot of disdain by a majority of my board members. We've had a number, hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, many are uh, parents, uh, many are concerned citizens that have come to our school boards that probably hadn't been before. It's almost like they were a nuisance. Bridget Ziegler doesn't want parents to feel like a nuisance. She says Florida's new education laws are powered by a simple idea. Show proper deference to parents and don't let social agendas leak into classroom instruction. But implementing that idea is proving to be more complicated and political. Florida's county school boards are chosen in nonpartisan elections, but Republican Governor Ron DeSantis got involved in dozens of races this year. He endorsed Bridget, and he's personally given her a shout out that's now emblazoned all over her campaign website. You know, you need like Bridget Ziegler, we should have her in every county. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got to do a better job on these school board races. A lot of people might be turned off by the idea of inviting a national partisan figure and national partisan politics to the local school board, what's the upside for you? So, well, the upside for, not for me, it's for the upside for the community with which we serve and also the, the, the Floridians. And I think what's so incredible about Governor DeSantis is he has a pro-parent, pro-student uh, education agenda that is overwhelmingly supported in the state of Florida. And I think all Floridians thank him for it because I think we're gonna see a huge tidal wave change that is gonna restore education to its intended purpose, which is education and not the indoctrination that we continue to see. 
Today on the show, a conversation with a leader in Governor Ron DeSantis' movement to reshape public education in Florida. I'm Mary Wilson, just one of a rotation of Marys behind the mic here at What Next. Keep listening. Bridget Ziegler is in high demand right now. She's a mom of three kids, all under the age of 10. For the past several years, she's been a member of her county school board, a huge commitment with long meetings and lots of wonky reading. The job got even more intense in the past couple years as the pandemic disrupted education. In late 2020, Bridget joined two other women who were serving on different Florida county school boards, and together they founded Moms for Liberty, This is a group that has campaigned against mask and vaccine mandates and for more parental say in classroom instruction. Moms for Liberty has chapters in more than 30 states now. They've shared lists of book titles that they believe should be pulled from school libraries because of content covering sex, gender, oppression, racism. Bridget is no longer officially with Moms for Liberty, but she takes campaign money from them and she calls herself a vocal advocate. Here she is on Fox News last year. The biggest thing that I have as a mother of two, a five, and a seven-year-old is that I don't want my children or their peers to learn to hate America through the anti-American curriculum that we continue to see. I am the only board member on my board of five that has school-aged children, and that's important because school boards across the nation are making decisions that are impacting our students, our young children, immediately. And so if you're far removed from that, you may not see those implications. When you get your child in the car and they ask you what white privilege is, that's concerning. I want them to understand that we all have an opportunity. Bridget runs in powerful Republican circles in Florida. She was first appointed to her school board position in 2014 by then-Governor Rick Scott, a Republican. Bridget's husband, Christian Ziegler, is the vice chair of the Florida State Republican Party. He's working on the DeSantis re-election campaign. And as we mentioned earlier, DeSantis has found an ally in Bridget, too. Thanks, Ron DeSantis is doing a good job. <laughs> The governor has done a remarkable job of boldly standing up against the woke media. He's fired and made sure that he's ensured that the education of our children and the instruction is focused on the actual curriculum of reading, writing, and arithmetic and not gender ideology. We began our conversation by rolling things back a little bit to the moment eight years ago when Bridget decided to take a seat on her local school board. I came from a family where my father was, uh, you know, kind of born and raised in more of a blue collar family outside of Philly, um, self-made man um, and incredibly successful. And then my mother came from a a, a long line of educators. And that journey has given me a a full scope of what's so important. And at the time we had an eight month old, our first child, Reagan. Uh, Yes, her name is Reagan. I'm glad you didn't make me say it. <laughs> Irish name, but we also uh, we we do not hide our our strong uh, sense of conservatism, and we love Bill Reagan. But there's a lot of different meanings in that name. But either way, and so at that time there was a vacancy uh, on our local school board, and I had never thought about running for office. Um, and my husband certainly did come in. And remember, I'll never forget it. Uh, at an eight month old, she he said, "We there's a vacancy. You should run for office." And I laughed and scoffed it off and said, that "You're insane." Um, but the reality is, as someone who has was raised myself as following, you know, local government and and federal and state. Um, Government takes a really long time to work. And I can attest to that uh, personally now. And when you're raising a family, education is key for their future. The first 
new Florida law that I want to talk to you about is is the curriculum transparency law, because it's come up recently in Sarasota County at the, at the school board level. This is a law that requires the school district to vet education materials. In House Bill 1467, uh, part of that says school librarians and media specialists and other... And more specifically, um, it's requiring the school district to hire and train what are called media specialists to approve books and other materials. The next section says each book made available to students through a school district library media center or included in a recommended or assigned school or grade level reading list must be selected by a school district employee who holds a valid educational media specialist certificate, regardless of whether the book is purchased, donated, or otherwise made available to students. And like I said, we don't have any. So the superintendent of your district told your board recently that this is going to, you know, they've got to hire three specialists now. They've got to train them to vet education materials. Um, the total cost for all three of these specialists per year is going to be $255,000, so about a quarter million dollars. Um, it didn't come with additional funding from the state. Should this requirement have come with some additional state funding? So we have uh, in Sarasota County, not only do we have we have the regular funding model that occurs in Florida. So everyone in their property taxes fund our school districts. So the public funds our school districts. And before any legislation, I think, again, it's a reasonable expectation that when you are educating minor children, that there are going there is always is going to be vetting of the material prior to it being presented to any minor child. So when I hear people talk about man, uh, you know, unfunded mandates, no, I would say that would be a priority prior to any legislation that should have been the expectation. But what we have found is special interests are lobbying school board members through the National School Board Association, through the Florida School Board Association, and promote all of these things that are well outside the realm of what anyone, any reasonable person, I don't care where you right, center, or left, that expect a, a K through 12 education to be focused on. When you start to look at some of the library books, I'll just use gender queer. And if you want to, I don't know if you have a website, but uh, I bet you you couldn't even show the pictures that were in these books. Quick explanation here. Bridget is talking about an illustrated memoir called Gender Queer. Last year, it became a frequent flyer on book ban lists and book challenges across the country. The book is about puberty and one person's exploration of their gender identity. There are drawings of naked people and sexual experiences, as well as depictions of masturbation and menstruation. When I was growing up, we read Deanie and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So I can appreciate that this book would be alluring to a kid and alarming to parents. Let me go to your point here. So there, there are books in schools that um, have not been vetted um, based on the views of voters who sent, you know, you back to the school board, reelected you, you know, what are the standards that are going to be used to vet these books and determine if they're appropriate? So in the state of Florida, we have what's called now the best standards. And so as was always in the time of history, is that anything that it comes down to uh, instructional material needs to be vetted to ensure it's age appropriate. So there there comes down to certain themes that are being pushed. And when you go to age appropriate, especially when you talk about library books, let's make sure we have some basic common sense. There are some elements there that we, again, we celebrate diversity. Let's be Let's be realistic and also respect that diversity as it comes to we are there to educate our uh, the children and the families are there to raise them. If a media specialist who's been hired and trained to vet materials says, I, you know, I'm reading this one book, 
It's about gender. It deals with gender themes. I think it is age appropriate. Um, if if it if if the specialist approves that book, and then a parent thinks that book is objectionable, who has final say? Parents do, but I don't think that we need to listen. Do you want hustler? If a parent wants, um, if they think it's okay. Uh, and they think it's okay for their middle schooler to read Hustler. Should we leave? Should we have those? Are, in our, we have our teachers. Are teachers bringing Hustler into the classroom? I didn't know that that was going on. No, they're not. But I'm saying that it seems like such an outlandish aspect to really properly vet certain material. And so, where's the line? We have always had the responsibility of vetting the books. That is my point. This isn't something that is un. So why do we need the new state law? I mean, the new state law has an effect. The superintendent is trying to you know, respect the state law. Like, you can't tell him that he's making a big deal out of something when he's just trying to follow the new state law, right? Uh, no, actually, if I, I strongly disagree. I think there's a way you lead with your communication and not cause undue hysteria. But I think a lot of this, these, there's a lot of semantics and it's a lot of fear mongering. So let's just get back and reset the tone. We, as a public educational institution, are there to educate ch children from the ages of, uh, you know, four up to 18. We serve a diverse population. It has been and should be the expectation of this educational institution to ensure they have properly vetted the material that will be available to all of those children. And that should be the expectation of every parent and concerned citizen who funds that district, full stop. If things weren't being done properly or things were going loosely behind the scenes, then now, yes, every district, including our own, needs to you know, pull up their bootstraps and make sure that we're not allowing things that are wildly inappropriate, as we've seen in other districts. Another new Florida law that school districts are struggling to implement is the Parental Rights and Education Act. This is the law that prohibits schools from giving lessons about sexual orientation or gender identity to any students in kindergarten through third grade. The same law also tells schools that they can't leave parents out of the loop if there are changes to, quote, student services or monitoring. Last month in Sarasota County, the school district interpreted this to mean that the school has to notify parents if their kids have come out as gay in school or if they want to change their gender pronouns. Since then, the school district has told teachers that district lawyers are reviewing the state law. This issue has come up in Sarasota County, in Bridget Ziegler's county before. Back in 2018, Bridget, at a school board meeting, spoke in support of notifying parents if their child is changing their gender pronouns. She argued that educators should not be keeping that information to themselves just because they've decided that the student's parents might not be receptive. What would happen if someone just perceived you to be X and not welcoming and not willing to come to the table or that middle school student just perceived their parents of totally not understanding and that that, that parent is now cut out? It's too dangerous to me. And that's just one circumstances. I believe in... This view has won in Florida. That's why Sarasota County Schools have told teachers, we got to notify parents if a kid changes their pronouns. But Sarasota County Schools have also told teachers... Notify parents if a kid comes out as gay. Ziegler has voiced support for notifying parents if a kid comes out as trans, but she's against notifying parents if kids come out as gay. She says it's not supported by state law, which she refers to by its House Bill number 1557. So in, in schools, if you have a change in service, if any child for any reason uh, needs, it, it is going to receive mental health counseling, 
that would require parental notification and consent as it would in any private sector. There is no possible way any child could, a minor child could go to a private provider, walk in without any, uh, and be provide services for a litany of reasons, for legal, legality, and for ethical purposes, and would be able to be served without parental notification and consent. And so why is that any different in a K-12 environment? So that is merely what that provision of 1557 did. And am I right that the Sarasota School District has set a new policy that if a student is changing their gender pronouns or coming out as gay to school staff, parents have to be notified? Am I correct about that? To be clear, th it's called a guideline and those goofy words there. I uh, vehemently um, disagree with the release that our Sarasota County School District did in adding the provision of gay because there's nothing in 1557 that has anything to do with sexual orientation. Again, I highlight it is a change in service, which includes a myriad of different aspects that is not in alignment with any current statute whatsoever, cause unnecessary um, havoc. And that's recklessness by our leadership. And I think that's a real disservice. It comes down to a change in services. And these are not unreasonable expectations when you're dealing with minor children. Yeah, I really, I really don't want to be unfair when I'm talking about this bill. Um, so I'm just going to quote from it as I have it listed down here. Um, there's a requirement that school districts will be notifying a student's parent if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. The procedures must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. And once again, this has been interpreted by the school district in Sarasota County that there's a guideline, I respect, you know, that it's a guideline, but we're going to be notifying parents if kids change their pronouns in school or go by a different name or come out as gay to a teacher. And you've mentioned that you support notifying a parent if a kid changes their pronouns, but not notifying a parent if a kid comes out as gay. And I'm wondering, what's the difference to you? For current events purposes, the district, after obscene, right, rightfully so, a significant amount of uh, backlash to those, the release of those internal guidelines, um, has now pulled them and changed. Um, now they're reiterating just the actual language in the the legislation. And so, for to paint a picture, because a lot of these things are hinged hinged on emotion. And so, I think it's important to point out that Equality Florida is the architect of the ridiculous tagline "Don't say gay" to associate with 1557. I, I know, but I have not called the bill that, and I really that's a branding issue. I really want to talk about implementation. Can you please explain to me why do you support notifying parents if their child has changed their pronouns, but not? support notifying parents if their child has come out as gay? When it comes down to a change in services, if I think about a, so we are a, we are a public educational institution, we are a public government body. So if you have a family that registers their child and has, and then they're expected to be called a certain name and then be, and, and of course, it'd be, you know, any kind of facility usage would align to that. If any, if there's any change, that would require parental notification. What is the change in service? for a student who's changed their pronouns? So to me, I don't believe that there's anything in the bill that addresses that. But you're saying that there's a change in services. What is it? Oh, no, I'm saying if there is a change in service and facility usage, then or their name, or if their documentation is no longer within the uh, aligned to the registering documentation, you cannot withhold that information from parents. After the break, Bridget Ziegler addresses Florida's teacher shortage and explains why she pulled her own kid out of public school.
I'm going to move on to some of the downstream effects we've been seeing um, from some of the new laws in Florida pertaining to education. Florida is experiencing what the State Department of Education calls a critical teacher shortage this year. There are teacher shortages across the country, but in Florida, teachers are pointing to state interventions as a reason for low morale. Um, You support these state laws. Do, Do you feel that you bear some responsibility for teacher shortages and for low morale? No, actually, I think it's unfortunate. And I'm very passionate about this. Again, as I go back to, I come from a family um, of a long line of educators, and I talk to educators all the time on the front lines. The reality is, this is happening across the country. So when I see certain organizations, special interests, or whomever, try to point this to the legislation that's occurring in the state of Florida, the irony is, is this is a national issue. So you can't possibly align it to that. We talked to a Florida teacher named Anita Carson. She told us she resigned this summer because she felt like parents were treating her with suspicion. And and she saw that suspicion as an outgrowth of this great parental awakening that you've talked about. Um, What would you say to her in response? Well, I would thank her for her service. And I'm sorry that that's the case. I am such a champion of parental rights. I am also a champion of parental responsibility. And so when when teachers are dealing with behavioral issues that are off the charts, that's, by the way, the number one issue across the country that, mo- that educators leave for, not pay, it's actual behavior. And they're not being backed up and, and supported by administration or any kind of policies that are providing through that. That's the real issue. And those are the issues as a school board member that I'm seeking to really focus and hone in on, because otherwise we aren't going to solve the great teacher shortage that we are all seeing nationally. I want to understand more about your views on public schools, who they're for, whose concerns should take precedence when we're deciding how they should run. Um, When you ran for re-election to the school board in 2014, you said the fact that you're a parent with a kid who will soon be entering the school system, I think you called that the most important part of your candidacy. I'm a businesswoman. And I'm most importantly, I'm the mother to a young child who will be entering Sarasota County Schools in the near future. I believe it's critically important that parents have a voice on the board. Decisions that come before- in a June 2021 interview with Fox News, you said you had pulled your elementary school aged daughter out of the public school. Why? So I will tell you that. So I have three children, as I mentioned, the, the ages. And what's unfortunate in Sarasota County is, is, is regarded as one of the absolute top school districts in the state of Florida, if not the country. And myself, like others, were ran out of the schools by reckless out of touch policies by the majority of the board. Um, and it was a very painful decision and not something I take lightly for our oldest daughter. And it came down to a 24 hour t- turnaround time that we had to finally make the decision that we believed was in the best interest of our child, who is in a high developmental stage of um, of education, at rising first grader, and is it dealt with the instability and I think poorly um, navigated COVID uh, policies. And so we made the decision that we believed was best for our child. So unfortunately, we had to make a decision and leave a school that we loved, a teacher that we loved, friends that we loved, but I am not walking away. I'm committed to the value and the importance of public education for an entire community. Gotcha. Yeah. Are any of your three kids enrolled in the public schools in Sarasota County now? They are not. What would it take for you to enroll your kids in those public schools again? Uh, so it depends. Two are too young and some have their own specific needs. So my goal and always has been, and this is for every parent, because it doesn't matter whether you have a school, you have school age children, certainly I understand the impacts and I would love to put them in there. But the reality is, is that 
our the quality of our education impacts everyone and everyone's a stakeholder. And we need to ensure that what we're doing is focused on core academics to allow our children to be successful, independent, critical thinkers by the time it comes to graduation. Okay. Um, I am kind of imagining how students in Florida might be um, absorbing some of this debate. And I'm imagining a middle school kid who's gay or asserting a gender identity that's different from the gender they were assigned at birth. And they're hearing that if they tell their teacher they're gay or if they change their pronouns at school, the teacher's going to call home and tell their parents. And that's the guideline of their school district. And the kids are talking about it. And, and even if their parents already know, it's kind of a weird thing, I think, probably to think about as a kid because school calls home when something's wrong. And no one's calling home about the hetero kids or the cisgender kids. So I can imagine, it's hypothetical, but I can imagine an LGBTQ kid sitting there wondering, do you think something's wrong with them? Well, it's it's a shame the way that that would be presented, the way, if, if it's being presented the way you just said it, then of course that's going to cause substantial angst and undue fear, and that's a shame. I will tell you, I don't care what what subcategory anyone falls within, our public education institutions, whether you're an employee or whether you are a uh, parent or whether you're a subcontractor and, and particularly whether you're a child, that that environment should be free from bullying and harassment. And in, in addition to that, the partnership and trust and transparency with our parents in conjunction with the schools is paramount to their academic success. It is imperative that we continue to partner and be transparent with our families because they are the primary decision makers and have a right to know what is going on and what's happening and occurring for their minor children so that they can continue to support them and help them because they have a lifelong relationship with those children. And for any public government institution to think it's appropriate to ever withhold or put barriers in place when it comes to a minor child and their parent is grossly misguided. Bridget Ziegler, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Bridget Ziegler serves on the school board of Sarasota County, Florida. And I should mention the Sarasota Herald Tribune was tremendously helpful to us as we prepared for this interview. If you live down there or if you just like following Florida news, subscribe to that paper. They are doing a great job. I'm Mary Wilson. I'm going to let Mary Harris take it from here. Okay, that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're up to here at What Next... The best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and join the club. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, of course, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. Madeline works tirelessly on this three-part series. We're also getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips and Jared Downing. We're led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. Make sure to tune in to What Next TBD tomorrow with Lizzie O'Leary. That episode is tackling a big question, how artificial intelligence is reshaping the artistic economy and maybe even the meaning of art. I'll be back in your feed on Monday.